Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. Podcasts like Super Deluxe Gamescast. SDGC is a news and entertainment collective based around nerd culture, bringing honest but thoughtful analysis and commentary and championing both inclusiveness and mental-slash-emotional well-being. Catch them live on Twitch at official SDGC, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, or get the podcast on SoundCloud and Spotify by searching SDGC. Look, I can make my sim go to work and get some animals <laughs> and go to sleep versus that's not exactly what's working during the pandemic. Like, I can actually let them go outside when I can't go outside. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know the bar is low when it's like all we want to do is just work hang out with animals and go to sleep. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Spencer, we got some new and noteworthies this week, so let's run through these real quick here. Uh, First, our February Patreon bonus episode is out this month in honor of the Valentine's Day feels. Spencer and I are (laughs) chatting about our video game crushes. Oh, yeah. So go to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod and subscribe at the $2 tier or above to check that out. If you're a fan of what we do on pixel therapy and you have a few bucks to spare, we'd really appreciate it. And if you don't no worries, you will keep getting your biweekly dose of pixel therapy for free right here, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, up next, uh, pixel therapy is hosting a panel. Holy shit. Us on a panel. What What could we possibly have to say? Uh, Saturday, February 20th at 6 PM Eastern time. You can come watch us live as part of uplink 2021. Uplink is a full digital weekend extravaganza produced by the award-winning team behind the LI, that's Long Island Retro Gaming Expo, and they're putting together an unforgettable weekend celebrating gaming culture with online sessions of retro video games and tabletop games, engaging panel discussions like the one we're going to be doing, Mm -hmm. and much more. Tickets are $10 each, which gets you access to the full digital convention going on that entire Saturday. And you can get those tickets by going to our website, pixeltherapypod.com, and following the link from there. Uh, we'll put that link in the description description of this episode as well, the direct link for the tickets, and on our social media. I just want to say, like, <laughs> this is our first panel, so we're, like, <laughs> super excited because it's, like... Read nervous. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're nervous <laughs> as hell. I don't know what it is. Like, we, we're talking to y'all all the time, but um, something about... It is going to be different. I'm just nervous. I guess it's the live aspect, um, yeah. but maybe someday it'll it'll be it'll prepare us for the live shows we'll <laughs> we'll have someday. Yeah, one day, one day in the faraway future. Um, but yeah, so we would you know if you're free that evening and you want to come check us out, we definitely appreciate it. And, no pressure. Uh, yeah, no, no pressure. Uh, we're trying to put as little pressure on ourselves as possible. So. And failing. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it should be a fun time. Again, Saturday, February 20th at 6 p.m. And you can come over to our website, pixeltherapypod.com, to get the link to buy some tickets. All right. Enough of that, Spencer. (laughs) It's time to get cozy. 
Pull up that armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. You better lie down on your couch. <laughs> We're going to talk about our feelings. Spencer, what's going on with you today? Uh, well, it's another snowy weekend here in Massachusetts. Um, it's very cold. I need sun. It's been, <laughs> it's been bleak. <laughs> but um, oh, one thing I don't know if I mentioned to you, but y'all may remember that lately I've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla loving it um so there was this sale on the playstation <laughs> store and my boyfriend aaron and i are now an assassin's creed family we literally downloaded <laughs> okay they were all like 11 to 15 dollars oh no each, wait so how many did you buy <laughs> how many did you buy spencer okay. we got the pirate one so we got assassin's okay. creed black flag yep okay we got origins that's when mm-hmm. you're in egypt Yes, loving it. I, I like that one a lot. We love it. Love Bayek. You can it ride a camel. Think you can. Oh yeah, that was the best part when you you call for <laughs> your steed and a fucking camel rolls up. Like loving that. Um, it kind of made me mad because, um, like, so at the beginning of every Assassin's Creed game, they put up this message, um, that's like. The team who made Assassin's Creed is full of people of different races and genders and creeds and and stuff. But with AC Valhalla, it's like everyone in the the game is basically white. And it wasn't until I was 80 hours into the game that I finally encountered a black woman. Um, But this person literally is only in the game for five seconds. She gives you a quest. You don't really learn her name. And then she's gone. Um, And so... It just kind of feels disingenuous to the message that they're trying or, the, or the tone they're trying to set at the beginning. Um, like, I'm playing Origins now, um, and that game came out in 2017. Um, but everything from the just the richness and the diversity of the landscape and the the casting and and the love brought to bringing the characters to life uh, and everything about it, it just makes me feel like do they think that games can also only be diverse racially when they're set in a setting where people would expect, you know, quote unquote, quote unquote, expect to see people of color. Like it still feels like I'm being served diversity through a white gaze. And I'm, I'm disappointed to see that, uh, you know, all of this diversity that was celebrated in origins, like, isn't really carrying through. Like I kind of feel like I take the same stance that I take on the Witcher three, like famously, the Witcher 3 is a game about Geralt the Witcher. There's also a TV show about it now, so I'm sure a lot more people may have heard of The Witcher than I'm thinking. <laughs> but you're like this guy in a fantasy world, and you're hunting demons and shit. I didn't finish it because I was kind of pissed off by it. I found it sexist <laughs> and flat and white supremacist. But Yeah, like, which is like, why are people so surprised that cyberpunk is the way it is? I know, right? Yeah, same developer <laughs> who made Cyberpunk 2077, so that's all you need to know about but essentially like (laughs) the developer famously came out saying uh because there's literally i think everyone in the witcher 3 is white it was like a thing like like there's white people and there's monsters and yeah (laughs) um and the developer was like well we know it's a fantasy but it's a fantasy set in poland so poland is like 99 percent white so there's just no reason why black people would be here. And it's like, well, you also just said it's a fantasy world that has monsters and shit in it. So you're saying that in this reimagining of a fantasy, there's no room for people of color to exist. Like that's too fantastical. Like, um, I, I just, I think that's the weakest argument 
that people have. Um, and so, you know, I was a little like, hmm, but anyway, we bought Origins, we bought Black Flag, we bought, um, we're going to buy Brotherhood because I've heard a rumor that Brotherhood's like the best one. Um, we bought Odyssey um, with the Spartans and Greeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like one more in the backlog, but I don't remember which one it is. <laughs> there's too many Assassin's Creed games, but we're going to be world travelers by the end of this. We're going to be visiting all the timelines. Um, it's a great time. Uh, that's that's cool. I, I hope you guys enjoy them. I mean, I think you're... Yeah, I've played... We've talked about this before. i played almost all of the Assassin's Creed games. They, I don't know, they're fun games, but they mm-hmm. leave a lot to be desired, I think. Um, and I think to your point about the that statement that they always put at the beginning of the games and how this is made by a diverse team that come from a lot of different backgrounds, I think that statement is true. But then, you know, when we heard, what was it, it was like almost a year ago now that all of the, um, the accusations and stuff came out of Ubisoft um, about how the marketing team was really forcing people to really only make games and narratives that centered uh, white men. Oh, I had uh, not heard or, this. Or men in general. Yeah. So, like, actually the mm. fact that Origins being set in Egypt even exists is really kind of a shock. And the game, uh, I don't know if you've gotten to this part yet, but the game does give you periods of time where you play as Aya by ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Originally, the original pitch of the game was that Aya would be, I, I can't remember now if she was supposed to be the main character character, or like you were playing as her a lot more. Mm-hmm. And the studio execs actually made them pare that down <gasps> because they didn't think people would want to play as a black woman. Wow. So the the fact that we've gotten the diversity that exists in the Ubisoft games is like huge when you find out that behind the scenes there was so much pressure to prevent any of that from happening. So like props to the developers who have been mm-hmm. working at Ubisoft and like striving to make these these adjustments and get the diversity into the games that they could, but the games are not as diverse as they should be and it's really because of this toxic bro marketing culture that was mm-hmm. coming from the top down. Ubisoft's trying to make changes. Uh, you can you can look them up, and I and I'm not as versed to speak on exactly all the stuff that they're doing. But they've been saying that they're making changes. A lot of the, those marketing bros have been let go, but none of it really happened in a way that was super satisfying. Mm-hmm. And and the the owners of the company, specifically Yves Guillemot, um, are still in their positions of power, and there's just no way they kind of didn't know what was going yeah. on. So. I'll be interested to see what happens as they continue forward. But part of the reason those games are as limited in the ways that they are is because there was a really like intentional push from the top down to make Mm. them that way. And so it just means that that the bit of diversity that we do see shining through was really like developers pushing as hard as they possibly could to get that kind of stuff in there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The, the, the games also have a certain level of jank to them. <laughs> yeah, because they're trying to make them so fast. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they have a bit of a bugginess. And and uh, before yeah. Origins, Origins was the game they released after they took a short break. Mm. Um, before Origins, they were churning the games out one a year. And then they had kind of the disastrous launch of, uh, I think, Unity was the one that came out that was mm. just completely broken. Mm. Um, you can go find all these screenshots <laughs> of characters with like their faces missing and they're just <laughs> lips and eyes. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and uh, they <laughs> kind of became they kind of became a joke after that. And then yeah. um, 
And then they took a break and then they came out with Origins, which everyone really thought was like a return to, well, not a return to form, but such an improvement. Um, so many new systems and and being in such an interesting location. You know, the games before that had almost all been set in Europe in very white European areas. Um, then Odyssey to follow Origins. Odyssey, also more white than Origins, but more diverse than a lot of the games that came before it, set in kind of mm-hmm. Greek Mediterranean area. But then, yeah, then they. I almost feel like Valhalla is a little bit of a backslide in terms of mm-hmm. some of the diversity that showcased. We're like, we're back in Europe and we're back in like a very white area. But Valhalla does a lot of other interesting things. So I don't know. We'll see what they do next. But there's a whole part of the globe that they just haven't touched with these games and for games that are supposed to feel so expansive and giving you the opportunity to experience a piece of history mm-hmm. it really feels like they've limited themselves with this shitty marketing culture that they have yeah, like let's get an aztec story like let's yeah, get no an kidding, indigenous right? filipino story like let's get some let's go come on like there's so many it's like the same old stuff going back to europe and britain shit like it's like oh my god just play any rpg um but you know what you're saying is fascinating because i didn't know that context Mm. and even when you look at the marketing for assassin's creed valhalla which is the one that just came out so the game has this whole okay this is i guess light spoiler so maybe skip ahead a few mins if you really don't want to get spoiled on any detail at all about Valhalla but I feel like if you've if you've read anything about the game this is kind of just like common knowledge at this point um but Eivor as a character so um Assassin's Creed essentially like you're you're a present-day character who's in this machine called the Animus that using DNA of people who have passed you're able to kind of uh see their memories and and live their lives in a sort of simulation um and canonically Eivor when the the skeleton of Eivor is found by the main character Layla that you play and then the DNA is put into the animus um Eivor's body she is canonically female Eivor um but in the animus she has so much DNA from the Isu, which are the also called like the first people, but they're the, essentially this civilization that came before in the Assassin's Creed universe and created all these. They're like God, like the ideas of gods that we have essentially in the lore of the game descended from these great beings that existed and died out before humanity today. And she has so much of this Isu DNA mixed up uh, that when the Animus uh, renders her simulation, it's not sure whether to render her as a man or a woman because it has because she has a ton of Odin's DNA. Odin, um, a guy, I guess, if we're going to assign genders to gods, and uh, he's uh, the All-Father in Norse mythology. And so essentially Eivor is Odin. She's the reincarnation of Odin. She's canonically female or a woman. Um, and she, uh, in vision quests throughout the game, um, she is able to go back to her memories as Odin and, and you do play portions of the game as a guy, as Odin um, in the past in Asgard. But the way that the game has been marketed um, is entirely with the guy Eivor, like the cover of the game, uh, the, the PlayStation screen when you're loading the game, all of the marketing out there, like in terms of articles and, and imagery and concept art, it's all the guy Mm -hmm. Eivor. But if you play the game the way it's meant to be played, uh, there's two ways to do that. You can either, the game lets you pick your gender in the beginning. You can 
you can be he, him, Eivor, you can be she, her, Eivor, or you pick this option that says, let the animus decide, which is the way the story is meant to be played. And the animus decides that you are she, her, Eivor for the entire game. Mm-hmm. And the only time that you are he, him, Eivor, you're not Eivor, you're Odin. You have, you look, you look different. You have a different face, different hair. Um, and so if you would play the game the way it's meant to be played, you actually would never see he, him, Eivor. You would never see Eivor the way that he's designed in marketing. So it's like, why do they feel the need to do that? Because clearly everyone's playing this game and having a great time. And Eivor is an incredible character. I've played as she, her, Eivor. My partner's playing through the game again as she, him, Eivor. And I don't hate on Eivor. I think they are great, regardless of who you decide to play. I love the aspect of being able to play with gender like that. And I think it's really great to introduce this mechanic as a way of just, you know, I I think games still today, there's a lot to complain about in terms of how women are characterized, how Mm -hmm. women's bodies are sculpted and the types of armor that they're given and the types of people that they're allowed to be in games. I personally was very uh, validated and I really enjoyed the way that because NPCs, for example, would say the same dialogue to you, regardless of whether you're he, him, Eivor, or she, her, Eivor, Mm -hmm. I think it, unintentionally even sort of turns on its on their head a lot of stereotypes about what a like a a man hero can be in a video game um and so like i really like the way that it opened up diversity in terms of performing both any gender um Mm -hmm. but i'm really pissed at the way that these marketers seem to think that the only reason people would buy valhalla is if they see that they can play a man character on the cover like it's disrespectful yeah. to the character of Eivor too, because Eivor is a badass woman, and like, it's like why? It's just why. Uh, well, and they, seen, they did, yeah, they did the same thing with Odyssey. Odyssey, uh, Odyssey is just straight up lets you choose uh, between. In that case, they are not the same character as they are in Valhalla, where Eivor is Eivor, regardless of which gender you choose. In Odyssey, um, there's a brother or a sister that you can Mm. choose to play as, and the other person will still appear in the game, depending on your choice. Um, By and large, reviewers said that Cassandra, the the, the woman option, was mm-hmm. the better one to play as the mm-hmm. you know they said the voice acting was better the just her charisma and stuff was better it was a more interesting game to play as her um and yet yeah all the marketing was uh alexios i think his name was yeah uh, the yeah. male version and you didn't see that anywhere and then i ooh, there was a study that they're not a study but uh ubisoft like released the statistics of the breakdown of who played which uh gender and and the male character was more people picked the male, but I just wonder how much of that is self fulfilling prophecy. Like if mm-hmm. that's what you see in the marketing, that's what you see on the box. Mm-hmm. Are you just assuming that that's how you're supposed to play the game and choosing that, or is there ge- is there genuinely a preference to mm-hmm. play the game that way? And I think if you know if you're never showing people the other option, then I don't know. I feel like you're kind of setting yourself up to not get different results. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And another thing, <laughs> speaking about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So uh, when you brought that up, I w- it was making me think about um, this Reddit thread that I was reading the other day. And when Odyssey came out, it was the first game that because you could play as either Alexios or Cassandra and be pick, um, you know, man or woman, male or female. I per- like so if 
folks are hearing me halting around saying male and female. I just don't like saying it because I feel like it can be prescriptive around like Mm. what it means, like the sort of relationship between sex and gender of which I personally believe there is none. Um, So that's why you may hear me pause, but there's nothing wrong with identifying as female or male. (laughs) Um, But essentially because it was the first game where you could do that, it was also the first Assassin's Creed game where um, you could be gay or you could be queer. Um, because mm-hmm. the NPCs that you had romance options with, uh, they would be made available to you regardless of if you picked Cassandra or Alexios. And so lots of people at first were like, oh, wow, like we're finally getting queer representation in Odyssey. This is amazing. Like, like uh, people were posting screenshots of Alexios with their partners and just having a great time. And then <laughs> uh, the team at Ubisoft decided to release a DLC that regardless of whatever player choices that you made in the main game, it ended with Alexios uh, marrying a woman and having a baby. So regardless, or, or vice versa, or vice versa, would marry, marry a man. But yeah, ending up in a heterosexual relationship and having a child. Yeah. So it's like, what is that? And there was some. Uh, so when the initial backlash from fans was coming out, the company did release a statement, essentially being like hey, sometimes people have to get married for duty. And this is about ensuring that Alexios or Cassandra is able to continue their line. Um, and it's about that. It's about the line. Because in older Assassin's Creed games, um, in the lore of the world, um, the only people who could go into the Animus and relive the memories of the people that they found had to be directly descended mm-hmm. from that person. However, <laughs> and this is just indicating to people how deep I've been getting into the assassins. <laughs> the introduction of Layla Hassan in Origins actually changed that canon because now, ever since then, all of the people that have uh, come up that you, the heroes that you are in these games, were no longer connected by direct uh, mm. Uh, descendants. So that reason they gave <laughs> to force you to become a heterosexual person was just complete bullshit. And they actually um, end up ended up basically retconning the whole storyline yeah. by uh, releasing an update where uh, Alexia slash Cassandra's entire family is killed and he or she goes back to being a mercenary. So it's like, it sucks that that had to happen. In- <laughs> but <laughs> it's like, y'all... <laughs> What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> it was definitely a misstep. I do, I give them some slight props for like listening to the feedback and trying yeah. to adapt it. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it just speaks to like, mm, that probably shouldn't have happened to begin with. Like, yeah, yeah, just people not, not thinking. So I don't know, y'all. I, I, what you said earlier about um, the kind of overall jankiness of it, like I feel like um, just because of the way that I like to consume media and and culture, like I'm trying to pull, like as I'm playing it, I'm I'm looking for the deeper meditations and truths on mm-hmm. on life and, mm-hmm. and and identity that I get from like the God of Wars and yeah uh I'm not quite yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's fun it's snack food yeah. it's 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 fun it's a great I think yeah I think it's a great like maybe an entry point RPG for someone who wants to try a, a big open world adventure game but doesn't necessarily want to read 
<laughs> well, and I, one other thing that, the, in particular, the more recent Assassin's Creed games have done, I, I feel like Origins was the first one that did this, but they actually have a mode that's like called History Mode or something like that, mm. where you can actually play the game without there being any combat. And and teachers mm. have actually been using it because they put so much time and effort and and uh, research into the world that they build. Um, professors and stuff have and well i don't know if college professors are using it but i've heard that teachers have been using it to get students to interact with historical spaces mm. so like if you're teaching a section on egypt actually using origins to show like this is kind of what it looked like and this is kind of what you could expect and the fact that they're putting that level of detail in the world i do think is cool but yeah, yeah to your point these are these are popcorn games i don't yeah. I don't think I've had like a really emotional experience with a with an Assassin's Creed game, and probably the closest I got was uh, Bayek and Aya's story in in mm. Origins, which is why that I hold that one up as my favorite. But even then, I don't, you know, there's so much of that game that's not about that. Uh, the worlds just give you so much to do that you can really lose the thread mm -hmm. of what the narrative even is. Mm -hmm. And plus, I feel like a lot of what makes Origins so great is the the really charismatic voice acting um, by Abu Bakar Salim. Um, he plays Bayek and I, he's incredible. Like, I, I think what you were saying earlier about like, like part of the reason uh, when you were talking about the voice acting being better for Cassandra, like I definitely feel like, uh, like when I'm watching my boyfriend play he, him, Avoy, like the voice acting is just not as rich and, and alluring and strong and, and full of emotion as as the she her Avor person is, and I just think again because we're people and <laughs> it's impossible not to have empathy and connect with these games emotionally. It's just like the people who feel the most human are the characters that really stick out to me, and it's those who are really brought to life by these voice actors. Yeah, um, and in the history of the Assassin's Creed franchise, and you may notice this if you go back to to Black Flag and and to Brotherhood, the well, Ezio was a fun character in his own right. He mm. was the main character of the first like three, four games, whatever it was. Um, but Bayek felt like such a departure because he was such a, well, for one thing, he's a dad. And mm -hmm. that's very different from so many of the Assassin's Creed game focus on, focus on um, like kind of loners. Um, but he's a family man and uh, he's a magi and he really wants to protect his people. He's got a lot of uh, empathy. He's very mm -hmm. friendly um, and kind and gentle. And it was just such a departure from so many of the protagonists that we'd had in those games that it really stood out uh, mm -hmm. to me when I played it. Uh, so Assassin's Creed. What are your thoughts on Assassin's Creed? Let us know, honestly. Like, <laughs> I'm just—I I know it's a very rich and big fandom. So, if y'all have feelings about Assassin's Creed, like, please email us because I kind of just want to know what people think about it. Uh, I'm like a very much late comer to the series, but um, enough about me. What have, What have you been playing? Uh, yeah, sure. So, you may recall. In our last episode, I talked about how I had ascended the mountain of Persona 5 Royal. Mm -hmm. I had gotten to the end of a 200-hour video game about Japanese high schoolers uh, living their day-to-day -day lives, having their romances and their dramas, then being pulled into an alternate reality <laughs> where they participate in turn-based fights uh, <laughs> with monsters of various kinds, right? Um 
And I was like, I'm ready for something completely different mm-hmm. after 200 hours of that. <clears throat> yeah. So I tried about seven other games, My playing God. like an hour of each game. As we know, I have an extensive backlog. Um, <laughs> so I tried a bunch of different stuff. Uh, I even tried getting back into Valhalla. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> I was encountering <gasps> a bug where the character's mouths weren't moving. Oh, I know. I, yeah, I know. And I just like can't. I was just like, yeah. I, I gave it like another good college try of like four to five hours. And I was just like, this just isn't clicking right now. Takes you out. Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to get into? You know, keep in mind, ready for something completely different. So the game that I've settled on <laughs> is. 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, which is a game about Japanese (laughs) high schoolers. I was like, oh, is that a game? (laughs) Yep, it is a game about Japanese high schoolers who are living their day-to-day lives and dealing with their drama and then getting pulled into a future reality where they (laughs) fight kaiju in mechs and it's turn-based strategy. So essentially... I came full circle and am playing a game that could not be closer to Persona 5 Royal. Whoa! <laughs> I've never heard of this game. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, 13 Sentinels came out in September of this year for the U.S. It, it was released okay. in 2019 in Japan, but uh, it came out worldwide in September of... Or not this year. Jesus. It's 2021 now. It came out in <laughs> September of 2020. So that's technically last, last year. What is time? Um, <laughs> it's... Uh, I'm really digging this game so far. I'm like 15, 16 hours in. It's uh, part visual novel, part real-time mm. strategy. Uh, and I guess you could say the visual novel has adventure game elements. It's it's actually like clearly divided. Uh, when you When you load up the game, you're brought to a screen that literally has three sections of the game. You can go into the real-time strategy battles, you can go into uh, a mode called Remembrance, which is when you're playing the visual novel scenes. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's another, uh, I can't remember the name of the mode, but the other one is is just kind of like looking at all of the, the mystery that you're putting together. Mm-hmm. The narrative through line of the game is uh, you're playing as uh, 13 different characters. You play different scenes with these 13 different characters. They're all Japanese high schoolers. <clears throat> they... Are it's the main f- sorry, there's a lot of time travel in the game and a lot of time jumping. Oh. The, the narrative isn't told in a linear fashion. So essentially when I when I go into remembrance mode, I've I've got all the characters there on this wheel, basically. And I can select which one I want to jump in and play part of their story as. When I when I go into their story, the main time frame of the game is set in 1985. So you go mm. in, you see a scene, a day of their life, but you're getting these uh flashbacks to other things sometimes you're being pulled back into the 1940s sometimes you're being pulled into the future as far as 2185 and essentially as i'm starting to piece the narrative together all of these teenagers are somehow involved in this thing that's happening in the future i think a lot of them have actually come back in time from the future oh my God. okay and in the future <laughs> they're all getting into these mechs and fighting these kaiju that have come and are attacking the world they're trying to destroy the planet and okay. so they're, they're going into their mechs in the future and, and fighting the kaiju but i it, haven't quite pieced together like how they're coming back in time what exactly is happening and there's also a ton of um like science fiction tropes being pulled in like there's basically mm. terminators that you see and mm. 
the you know the kaiju are are they're not actual monster or like they're not living beings they're robots um that are made for terraforming so what's going on there wow. it's a really interesting and complex game and when you're playing the scenes you're actually you're having conversations with characters that are unlocking keywords that then allow you to have other conversations with characters so you're mm-hmm. you're like piecing together this mystery of what's going on i that all probably sounds a little bit confusing because it is a little confusing right now but i'm so engaged in like this narrative and trying to figure out what how this mystery is going to come together and trying to figure out why these characters have come back in time from the future and what they're trying to do in 1985. And some of them mm-hmm. realize that they've come back in time and others don't. Mm-hmm. So there's interesting pushes and pulls there. And then because you're playing, you're going through and you're picking scenes from different characters Again, nothing's linear. So I might see a scene from one character's perspective, and then that unlocks the scene from the other character's perspective, and you get a whole different take on what was actually happening there and why it was happening. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I might need to play this. This sounds yeah, really interesting. I'm, I'm really into it so far. Also, the you know, just a further selling point, the, the artwork in the game is so beautiful. The, the visual novel scenes almost look like they're done mm. with colored pencil. It's like oh, wow. very detailed and and artful. The voice acting is really good. All thir- all the you know you're like, how am I going to get invested in thirteen character stories? But I totally yeah. am. Like I care about all of them immensely, and I want to see like what's going to happen with them. And they're all very unique and distinct from each other. And and also there's all because it's you know they're all Japanese high schoolers. There's like pairings that you can see between the different characters, and you're like, oh, you're going to end up with them, and you're going to end up with them, mm. and I hope things work out for these two, and nice. that kind of a thing. Um, the only downside to the game is it's developed by Vanillaware and they have a track record of making interesting games, but they're, they really like boobies and boobies or movies, (laughs) boobies. (laughs) 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 They like, they like some knockers. Um, So they Vanillaware has made games like Odin Sphere and Dragon's Crown. And if you look up any of the art from those games, you'll probably see what I mean. Dragon's Crown in particular, I remember having this uh, a witch character that just had boobs that were oh like boy. like half the size of her body. Great. That kind of a thing. And so you're playing this game with Japanese high schoolers. The school nurse has ridiculously huge boobs. And every time one of the characters comes into contact, like the male characters come into contact mm-hmm. with her, they like blush. It's just like inserting like (laughs) dumb sexual stuff for no reason. There's also the thing I hate the most is that when the kids go into the mechs. Okay. It shows you like a an animation of them on the screen that shows them inside the mech. They're naked. For no reason. Going into the mech. Makes like, them um, naked. Like magical magical girls and boys, like when they go through transformation, <laughs> there's no end of the transformation. Yeah. yeah, so they're like fully clothed on the ground and then they get sucked into the mech and all their clothes disappear. And like nice. actually the first time it happens, it's with one of the teenage girls and she's like, oh no, what happened to my clothes? Oh my now God. I will say like they don't fully show this teenage girl naked, which thank God, because that mm-hmm. I don't think I could even play this game if they were going that far. But they put them in like these alert poses and it's like oh you can see like the hint of a butt or the hint of a boob Mm -hmm. and it's just like why did we need Mm -hmm. this 
it makes me so frustrated because like this game is so fucking interesting. The narrative is so complex. I would love to recommend this game to people, but then I feel like someone who's not a gamer is going to look at this and be like, oh, video games, right? It's just tits and ass and guns. Right, and it's like, yeah. no, but there's a really complicated narrative here that's so deep and interesting. Yeah. But on the screen, here's a, you know, naked girl. I noticed it's an Atlas game too, which is like the same like parent developer that made Persona 5. Yeah, so Atlas... Oh, sorry. No, no, I was just, just gonna. I was just gonna. Yeah. Add Atlas developed Persona Five or developed the Persona games. They published this game. So VanillaWare is the developer. Atlas okay. Atlas is the publisher. Gotcha. Um, just that uh, it doesn't necessarily surprise me because I've I've definitely heard. I mean, anyone who plays Persona, like there's a giant penis that you fight, <laughs> and there's creepy like like one of the adults that you take down. Um, like it's about rooting rooting out corruption in mm-hmm. adults. So of course you're going to have people with fucked up desires and shit. But there's always been this kind of weird tension between oh the writing in this in these games is really interesting. It's really uh, tackles so many themes, um, but still manages to have this like uh, core of friendship and and. Um, you know, overcoming incredible odds together. And yet at the same time, the way it treats like the bodies of young women and sexuality and the kind of late, the sexuality in general just kind of is a head scratcher. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we'd have to kind of get into uh, just anime tropes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a whole like, yeah, culture and like tropes and stuff to unpack there behind that. Yeah. But I get like for me sitting here as an American with my very like <laughs> yeah. white American perspective, I'm just like, this feels egregious. I, I guess in, in persona, when those kind of things would happen, they just felt more knit into the narrative and mm. it wasn't being positioned as a good thing. Like when adults are being creepy and sexual towards mm-hmm. the teenagers, it wasn't a good thing. But there is that weird fact that you as the main character who is a high schooler can date adults like you can date your teacher if you want to that was that options available i never did it but it was available so i guess in persona i was just able to avoid the stuff that felt off Mm. and egregious to me whereas in this game like i really can't avoid the fact that there's a naked girl on the screen Mm -hmm. uh when i'm going into the mech battles so Mm. yeah consent's a big part of it yeah, so that's 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. It is a great game. I'm really excited to see where this story goes and and piece together this mystery. Um, but it is horny on main. It is horny on main. Yes, that's a great way to put it. All right, let's go ahead and get transitioned over to our guest today. Today we have Jameer Leslie. Jameer is a mental health counselor based in South Shore of Massachusetts. She is a voracious reader. Just want to mention that the average person reads 12 books a year, and Jameer read 30 in 2020. Holy crap. Three zero. Three zero. I mean, I don't even hit the 12. So that is two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, if I'm lucky. Um, That's, yeah, that's really impressive. Uh, it makes sense, though, because she's someone who manages to simultaneously be the wisest person in the room and the life of the party. And I think you're definitely going to hear that on this episode that we have for you today. Jameer was brought to us via Yinka over on Patreon. Guest requests and recommendations are a perk 
for those of you who are generous enough to help us underwrite the show. So big thank you to Yinka and thank you to all of you for being here. It was incredible to get the perspective of a therapist on the show. Uh, Thank you, essential workers. But we'll let the convo speak for itself. So without further ado, let's go hang out with Jameer Leslie. Hello to our wonderful guest. Thank you for joining us in the virtual Pixel Therapy podcast studio, Jameer Leslie. Uh, So happy to be here with you. Can you take a minute to share your pronouns um, and maybe just a little bit about yourself and how you've been spending your time lately? Okay. Um, My pronouns are she, her. Um, Over quarantine, I've basically been spending time, I've done a lot of reading and then obviously a shit ton of gaming. Um, <laughs> quarantine kind of like brought that back out. So that's one thing like mm. that has kind of been good for quarantine for me. Is like the inner gamer was like, yes, I must be out. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So it's, it's been pretty great. Um, a little bit about me. I, um, I'm actually not originally from here. I mm. moved here about six years ago at this point. Um, I'm an individual therapist out of Pembroke. Um, mm. so mental health is, that's my stuff. Mm. Um, and I don't, there's nothing else I can really, <laughs> I guess, think of right and now. Here, for the, me. for the folks at home, I should mention that here is the lovely state of Massachusetts where yes, we all happen you. to be. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for doing that. <laughs> when you mentioned that you are, aren't from here originally, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. So the city of snow, snow with a side of snow. (laughs) Okay. I have a question. (laughs) Buffalo wings. Are those from Buffalo, New York? No. Oh. (gasps) No. Okay. I mean, I think the franchise is, but like, if you're in Buffalo, you don't go to Buffalo Wild Wings. Like, (gasps) it's there, but there are clearly like way better places to get wings. That is the... One thing I do miss about Buffalo is that there's mm. so much good food. <laughs> okay, wait. So Buffalo Wild Wings, the franchise, not from Buffalo, but Buffalo, that sort of tangy, spicy flavor that we all know and love. Is that from Buffalo, New York? Um, I that is I really should know the answer to that question. <laughs> but I don't really know. Jameer's um, like, listen, because- I'm a mental health professional, not a <laughs> food connoisseur so please take your questions elsewhere (laughs) and then like there's so many like wing places that like i've know very few people that like actually go to buffalo wild wings like Mm. just put that out there i'm black so like we know good chicken Mm -hmm. and buffalo wild wings is not it like there's so many better places in buffalo Mm -hmm. that like i would definitely go to before i step foot in a buffalo wild wings Buffalo Weans are like, listen, don't don't loop us in with that. <laughs> no, don't. There's I promise you there is better chicken in many other places. <laughs> um okay, so let's go back a little bit because you mentioned that the inner gamer has been coming out in the pandemic. And I just wanted to yes. ask, why hasn't the inner gamer been allowed to come out and play before the pandemic? <laughs> um, I guess like I I gamed like a little bit when I was younger, but that really mm. was more forced gaming because I had brothers. 
Mm. And so it was more like they took over the TV. So if I wanted to do anything, I had to game with them. And they weren't necessarily games I enjoyed. Mm. Like my brother's like more like NFL, Madden, like 2K, like NFL The Streets is when the GameCube was out. So like Mm. that was like the big one. So like those were the kind of games they play. And obviously Grand Theft Auto because we all were inappropriately playing those games when we were way too mm-hmm. young. Playing. <laughs> I mean, how else do you learn about what adulthood is like other than playing GTA when you're eight? <laughs> eight pretty much. Um, and so, like, I played those, but then, like, once once we started to get older, I didn't really play because gaming is for boys. And so, like, mm. my brothers got the systems, and I, like, I only had one system that was like a hand-me-down. And then after mm. that, I had no like gaming. And then we know what computers were like back then. So it was oh, like, mm. absolutely not trying to game on a computer mm-hmm. at that point. You weren't trying to wait like five minutes and listen to all the dial-up sounds. As you yeah, got right. yeah. <laughs> it's like a motor starting. <laughs> um, what was the hand-me-down system that you got? Um, it was probably one of the first Nintendos. So it was oh like God. the one where you had to like <laughs> on the cartridges, you know, blow on them. <laughs> and then like at that point, you just had A, B, and then the four, mm. and then select at the top. That's all mm-hmm. I had. So that was like the original, like the one gaming. And that was a hand-me-down from my mom and my aunt. They actually had that game when they were kids. It's funny. I have so many fond memories with the Nintendo 64 of holding those cartridges, blowing into them, trying to... I had this method of like, first you got to blow for three seconds. Then you have to push it and then slam a little bit in the last second, but not too forcefully. And then you just sort of turn it on and pray. And the first few times it might sputter. And then that third or fourth time it would get going. And honestly, I'm just trying to imagine now, like sitting down in front of my PS5 and just having to start it three times to get it to go, I feel like oh, I would have not. a heart attack. Like, it's like we really were fine with <laughs> Yeah, I refuse. I refuse to ever do that again. And I love how we all blew on the cartridges. Even though yeah. on the back, there was a big-ass part that said, like, do not blow on cartridges. Do not. <laughs> Y'all just knew. <laughs> I'm like, but without blowing on it, though, you like, then it was just, it just didn't work. So I was like, I don't even care what that says. I'm blowing mm. on it because then it works. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. It's funny. You were mentioning this concept of forced gaming a, a mm-hmm. few minutes ago uh, and the and the sort of pressure you're feeling there. Like, what was that like for you? Like, like what do you associate with forced gaming? Like, what kind of situations did you find yourself in? Um, it was mostly situations I found myself in of, like, my brother's friends would come over. Mm-hmm. And so it was like they there was one TV which was in the living room. And so it's kind of like, well, it's either like, and sometimes I would just read because I was like, I don't have time for this. But it's like, if Mm. I wanted to be in the living room, I kind of had no choice. So Mm -hmm. I had to figure out how to play some of the games, aka a lot of button mashing, and then like winning one every 20 games. Uh. (laughs) Um, But it it was a very interesting experience to be the only like girl there. Like, my brother's friend, and they could, like, obviously play for hours. So, kind of being around my brother's friend, I I liked that I was exposed to gaming, but I didn't like mm. that. I didn't have, like, my own personal, like, system I could play on. Because, mm. like, my brother, we, we shared it. Like, we shared the Nintendo. 
Um, and then he got like the first Sega and then it kind of went from there and then he got the rest of the system. Mm, because it's for boys. So Yeah, because it's for boys and he's not about sharing. So Ugh, mm. yeah. I just it's it was really interesting to hear you say that because I was uh, to, to prepare for our conversation yesterday, I was I was reading some studies. So just sort of, were there any links between mental health and gaming? I was sort of curious to see if there was anything coming out in recent years. And there was this, and I'll get into it later, but there was this study that came out of Oxford University in 2020. And it was about um, intrinsic versus extrinsic experiences gaming. And so intrinsic enjoyment is enjoyment that comes from inside yourself. It's self-driven. And extrinsic uh, enjoyment of gaming has more to do with external influences uh, compelling you to play a game. And it was contrasting these two things. And they found that for people from whom the love of gaming was intrinsic, um, they tend to f- tended to form much healthier relationships with it. it and it, it turned out to be like a very beneficial exercise, uh, especially like childhood growing up to adulthood and the evolution of the relationship with gaming. Um, but for those for whom gaming as an activity was introduced extrinsically. And uh, this often came about, they, they, they brought up specifically like people who felt bullied into playing or people who were peer pressured into playing um, or who felt bullied by the game itself, like the mechanics of a game being punishing and, and putting external stress on people. Um, that actually produced a lot more concerning behaviors, especially over mm. time with video games, like video game addiction and, and stuff like that. And I just thought uh, it was so interesting because when you said forced gaming, like I had my own idea of what that might feel like because I have my own childhood memories of like yeah. certain people like forcing me to like something or telling me that this was like Soul Calibur was mm-hmm. a fighting game that was on the Dreamcast, Sega Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. Like this was the epitome of gaming, even though I personally, all the blood and fighting, like I found it terrifying. Um, so I had all these ideas as a young person about what it meant to game and, um, I don't know. I just thought that I, I've never thought about that before, the sort of intrinsic and external pulls that we might have that influence how we game. Um, I've never anyway. thought about that either. So, <laughs> I, you know, I'm a nerd. So I'm like, yes, give me all the stuff. <laughs> yes, I love it. My nerd brain is so happy. <laughs> um, so we touched on it a bit here and there, but um, what, like, do you identify as a gamer? Like, is that a title that you feel comfortable with? Um, I don't really identify as a gamer because I automatically go to like the people that have like the headsets and multiple (laughs) setups and like, are like in a bunch of games with like strangers and like screaming and Mm. like that. And I know that's a very (laughs) wrong image to have, but it's like, as soon as I think of gamer, I think of like that or like the guys that have like four systems on Mm. their like TV stand and then they go between systems and they're like a whole library. And I'm like, no, <laughs> mm. that is that is not my kind of gaming. No, thank you. That's like that's way too too much stimulation at one time. So it's just mm. like I don't really consider myself a gamer. I consider mm. myself as a person who just enjoys certain types of games. Like when you're mm. saying like like the really bloody ones, like like that's those were kind of the only ones I was really introduced outside of like Mario and Kirby and all that stuff on Nintendo. Mm-hmm. But it was like I have brothers. So they wanted to play NBA 2K and Madden yeah. and NFL Streets and stuff. So, like, I barely even knew other games really existed because I was like, 
or it's like like you said it's either fighting games or shooting games and so i'm just Mm -hmm. like well if this is it then what am i supposed to do because i don't like any of this right yeah so So why do you game like what you mentioned uh like what you don't look for out of games so what brings you to gaming now what do you get out of it um i I get a lot of, for me, I like a lot of open world games. So like Mm -hmm. I play um, Animal Crossing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm playing a game right now called Virtual Villagers. It was like a free game on like the Xbox. Um, Because my boyfriend has an Xbox One. So like I, he bought it for, he thought he bought it for himself. But um, he really (laughs) was buying it in preparation for dating me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like I play that all the time and like, We've been like, he's been working on me as well, like finding games that I like, which is just one of the many reasons he's wonderful. Um, And so like, I've tried a couple other games and I'm like, no, I'm like, I like open world Animal Crossing. I can build like houses and build worlds and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, So like, that is my kind of gaming. And it, it gives me a sense of like, I built my own world instead of being like, you're dropped in here, like Fortnite, Mm. you dropped in, there's a hundred people try not to die and i'm just like right. no no i like open world i like to build my own stuff so once so like once the pandemic happened then it was mm. like obviously we had a lot of freaking hours and so it was like i don't know what we're gonna do and then me and yinka both found the sims and we were like oh the sims is on sale because it was like right when the <laughs> pandemic started so all the yeah. games was like half off 25 percent off here you go like please buy us mm-hmm. um and so me and Yinka were like, oh, we'll try out The Sims. We tried <laughs> and we got a problem <laughs> playing The Sims. It was, I'm not going to embarrass us like that. I'm going I'm, to I'm leave how many hours we've played. Um, I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> um, you're not going to fight. We'll be proud of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There wouldn't be any judgment here. Yeah. It's like, There's... I think, I played it like last week. And I think since March, I've played like almost seven hundred dollars mm-hmm. congrats thank you Honestly. i appreciate it that's impressive. it's a better world in there than what's going on out here no kidding. that's the truth i'm like look i can make my sim go to work and get some animals <laughs> and go to sleep versus that's not exactly what's working during the pandemic like i can actually let them go outside when i can't go outside yeah oh, man yeah 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 you know the bar is low and it's like all we want to do is just work hang out with animals and go to sleep (laughs) in reality and honestly I feel like there's a lot of truth in what you're saying about um the power and the pleasure in being able to create your own worlds instead of just being dropped into someone else's and Mm -hmm. um I think that that can be especially true when you find that the types of worlds that we're dropped into are very narrow and how that they're defined and the types of people that are are roaming around in there so it's like why not make your own world So, Jameer, you're a therapist. Um, I feel like we've sort of teased around this, but like, do you, what kind of relationship do you see between gaming and mental health, if any? Um, I guess I get to see like both sides of the coin. Mm. Um, I get to see how it can be helpful um, to some, especially some clients I see that like have difficult home lives it can be Mm. a good way for them to like have some sort of control in their life and be able to have a hobby Mm. um to like kind of get away from stuff but also people who just 
they just love gaming and so they're like that but then i unfortunately sometimes see the other side when some people have gotten too much into gaming and it's like affecting their lives like i've had teenagers who like have been put on academic probation because they just can't stop playing or they're up all hours of the night or they're using it as a coping skill for what's going on but it has gone past the coping skill and now has turned into a problem so it's like mm. i kind of get both sides and it's very interesting with clients to see like which way people have gone and like the diagnoses that they have sometimes to see like mm. how that can affect like their gaming and how they game so mm. it can be yeah it's kind of my nerd brain again it's like i love it yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you talk about like the negative sides of gaming and like going beyond coping, like, do you feel like there are certain warning signs that people should look out for when to, to tell them that their hobby might be becoming harmful? Yeah. Um, well, I guess there are a few that I've seen as a therapist. I mean, this isn't obviously an exhaustive list, but... Mm-hmm when um it's very hard for you to connect with the outside world like some Mm. people get so into the world that they built that they like start to struggle socially like i mean obviously we're stuck in the house because of pandemic but Mm. like it can be like they struggle to relate and Mm. it's hard for them to like come back into the real world because Mm. they're just so stuck in the world that they can or um if you start to feel like very like like when games like that, like Fortnite and Call mm. of Duty and stuff like that, when it becomes like you stop feeling empathy, like mm. you're very much just like, I'm just shooting at people, I'm seeing blood. And it's like, it is like, now it's not even like phasing me even a little mm. bit that can start mm. to be because then it's like, you're training your brain, like, not to remember that, like, this is a game, like the, the reality mm. versus the real life can start Mm. to get tangled. And then it's like when you're only playing when you're feeling bad or you want to escape a situation Mm. because then you train your brain that that's what gaming is for. It's like, Mm. all right, I don't like that this is going on. So I'm just going to game instead of maybe addressing why you need to do that. Um, And then when it's like affecting your sleep, the way you eat, because I'll have clients that'll be like, yeah, I game for six hours. And I'm like, well, did you eat? Did you stop to pee? Did you anything? And they're like, uh no i didn't really and i'm like in six hours you didn't pee or drink water or eat like are you okay is somebody not checking in on you like what what is going on i'm just laughing because i'm like oh shit maybe i should start setting a timer to get up and walk around every few hours because uh i may have (laughs) i may fall in the six hour club yeah but it's like but it's okay if you do play it for a lot of hours it's just Mm -hmm. like for me it starts when like it's a pattern like i keep seeing that like okay like this is being a daily thing where six hours is gaming and then like you don't really do anything else and it's like Mm -hmm. okay there's life outside of the game even if you don't necessarily want to be a part of that life there is life Mm. um so yeah and then sleeping patterns of course because there are people like, yeah, I'm gaming so too. And then, like, I had a client at one point that, like, gamed so much, he, like, couldn't sleep anymore. Oh, my mm. gosh. Like, yeah. he was, it, like, it just got him all worked up? Or, like, what? Yes, Stop. like, he, mm. yeah. So he was, like, so worked up and used to being in the game that, like, yeah. he would play it from the time he got home until he went to bed. And then when he was mm. in bed, his, like, 
he was one of those ones with like the setup and everything. So then it was just like all the lights flashing and then you going to try to go to sleep after like mm. five hours of that. Like, right, absolutely right. not. You're not going to sleep. That blue light, our enemy. <laughs> yes, I know all too well. <laughs> I feel like that's a really valuable reminder. And thank you for walking us through those examples. Like, I definitely feel like balance is the word that comes to mind for me. Like, I am someone who really loves, I love open world games, like you mentioned, because I love to just immerse myself. I, a lot of it's escapism. I mean, I just, I want to feel like I'm fully in the story and I want to give myself the time to do that. Um, And, but what I find is that like, if I'm not being, not being intentional about the time I'm spending gaming, I can start to come to and realize that oh, the, the sky was dark when I first started doing this and now it's like mm-hmm. midday. Or I walk in the kitchen and the dishwasher's full and the dishes are stacked up in the sink. And it's like, mm-hmm. or I go to the bedroom and four weeks of laundry is spilling out of the hampers yeah. and all over the mm-hmm. floor. And it's like, okay, I guess I can't fully like black mirror myself <laughs> into this yeah. video game world as much <laughs> as I might like. Yeah. Um, And that's regular, like, and it's not, like, necessarily a bad thing because we've all been in those gaming holes. We've all been there, mm -hmm. especially, like, when you start a new game. Mm -hmm. And then you're just like, all right, I need to learn all the things. I need to figure out where I need to go. I need to, so, like, a lot of times we can get into the hole. So it's like, they're also, like, we all have that. Like, I can't say, like, oh, yeah, I haven't sat down to a game and then, like, did it for hours because that would be a lie again i clocked almost 700 hours on Mm. the sim so it's like that is also like i want to make sure that people know that like that also is okay that it happens it's just a problem when you are not recognizing like you said like you still have that recognition though of like all right i see the dishes i see the laundry like maybe i need to take care of some stuff somebody Mm. that has that addiction sees that and then still like it doesn't even hit their conscious brain and they're like Mm. no but gaming Mm. Uh, so I you mentioned um, Animal Crossing earlier, yeah. and that was a specific game that... So I'll, I'll come back to the study I mentioned earlier. Um, and so this was in 2020 out of Oxford University, um, and the lead researcher's name was Andrew Shabilsky, um, and he's an experimental psychologist and the director mm. of research at the Oxford Internet Institute. And he uh, led the longest study ever done on video game uh, addiction. And it was really about finding out, like, uh, this was a six-year-long study where they started out, uh, they would interview adolescents growing into adulthood. Uh, Mm -hmm. They would check in several times a year and um, just sort of ask questions about how they're doing, um, their psychological profile, like how how they've been engaging with gaming. Um, And what they found is that like up until this point, it was surprising how little data there was out there, uh, even owned by gaming companies. Um, because up until this study, when people do research into gaming, they always uh, ask people how much they game in a self-reported way. Um, yeah. And that means like the person says like, oh, I game two hours per night. But what they found is that all of those studies are pretty much wildly inaccurate because self-reported gaming time is wildly different from actual recorded gaming time so like every time Mm -hmm. these people game they would they would basically start a timer so they were able to just determine how long they were actually gaming throughout the week um and they found that it like basically you can just throw out any self-reported numbers on that 
Um, so this is really the one of the first, this is the first study that's really in a more accurate way depicting uh, behaviors that come out of engaging with gaming. Um, and they found that for 90% of gamers, uh, 90% of the game, at least the 90% of the ones they studied. So I guess let's caveat with the sample size thing. Um, but they found that uh, 90% of gamers do not play in a way that is harmful or causes negative long-term consequences. So right off the bat, they were like, you know, this idea that games inherently are addictive, games inherently cause like violent video games, cause violent behaviors. Like they're like, that's all kind of the bullshit. Um, yeah. And what they did see, they were actually like an actual recorded finding that came out of this study was that if you play four hours a day of Animal Crossing or more, uh, it correlates with increased happiness over time. <laughs> really? <laughs> and so, you know, they were like, you know, I think they were talking about how this opens the doors to talk more about um, how gaming can interact with mental health. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, uh, when I was talking earlier about intrinsic and extrinsic motivations for gaming, they did say that one of the things that they feel confident about coming out of this is that the attitude that someone takes to gaming really affects the mental impact that it has. The attitude you're in, the reasons why you are compelled to game, um, all of those things work together, which makes sense um, to influence the impact that gaming has on you. Um, and I don't know. I thought that was just a really cool thing to share uh, since yeah. we were talking oh, to someone yeah. who works in mental health. Again, mental. You know I'm a nerd, so I'm like, yes, <laughs> tell me all the things. Yeah. <laughs> but I find, like, you know, especially gaming through the pandemic, um, it feels like I've really leaned on games in a way I haven't in the past to yeah. um, to get me through a really shitty time. Um, but I've also felt a certain freedom this year to game like I feel like in the past I might say "Ooh, I really want to spend like all my free time this week with this game but there was always so much going on like oh there's but there's a party to go to or there's a meeting that I have to attend or someone wants to hang out or just whatever the constant peer pressure of living in a somewhat urban area is just that like you almost feel like you have to have an excuse to game Um, and this pandemic sort of took that away and was like no, my child. We can't go anywhere, so I can't go hang out. I can't, oh, I just, I can't see you. So I just, I'm so Oops. sorry that I can't see you as I'm hooking up the system. I know <laughs> it's so crazy that we can't get phones on. See each other, I know. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I definitely, that's, I think that's what I felt kind of the same way you felt. It's like, mm. Being at home like regularly, I'm like, there's always so much going on that it's like hard. And then also like coming home from work after a whole day, it's like, well, now we got like, we don't have a lot of time because we all know we get off work. It's like, all right, I'm hungry. So I need to eat. I need Mm -hmm. to catch up on anything I wasn't able to do. I need to throw in a few loads of laundry. I need to do so many things. So it's like all of the free time was just trying to maintain the regular life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so with the pandemic, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a Saturday. Normally on a Saturday, I would plan to hang out with a friend. So I need to get up, shower, get ready, whatever. Or it's just like, get up, shower, get ready. And then you're like, well, I don't got nope. nothing else to do. <laughs> and there's my system right there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I need to find something to pass the time. Exactly. So, here we go, gaming. <laughs>
So on this podcast, we like to have guests um, share a game um, that was impactful to them and their life in a certain way. And you told us uh, the first you, you wrote to us the first game I ever played was Mario, and it started my love of gaming. I would spend hours playing it and escaping what was going on around me. Um, I feel like that has a lot to do with what we've been talking about, of how we engage with games and the circumstances around um, what brings us to them. So I'd love to hear more. Oh, first of all, which Mario? Because there's lots of Mario. I know there's so <laughs> many Mario. That's the bad part is I was like, we're on a thing. It all bleeds together. Like, I know Mario is so vague. I'm like, yeah. and obviously that was years ago. So I'm just like, it was a Mario and it was on the cartridges. But it's all like, you need like, to know. Yeah, that's like, that's, that's it. I don't remember like any specifics. He wears a red Mario. hat and he jumps people. Pretty much. And he jumps. And then on certain levels, you get to get other things. And he gets big and small. Like, I just, like that was forever ago. So I have. He eats mushrooms. No he chills. Okay. See? He knows how to hang. He gets big and small. What else? And you, you go down tunnels, and then you get stuff, and then you can get coins. Like I was like, yes, he's a blue is. collar worker. He's out here. Exactly um, he's out here. <laughs> so, Jameer, maybe let's talk about what Mario meant to you. Like, what was life like at home for you while you were playing Mario? Um. Well, I grew up in a single parent home, so it was me, my mom, and my brother. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, which isn't always the greatest. Um, because mm-hmm. then it's just kind of the three of you just like stuck together a lot. And then like, I am very different from my mom, and my brother. The best way to explain it is they're mm-hmm. fire and I'm water. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like trying to put that in the same house. Doesn't mm-hmm. always go as great, especially when the fire is against the water. Then it's like, okay, this isn't really working as well as I want. So it was like a time where I got to like go in my room and close the door and just like play and like, do like do something fun that had nothing to do with whatever else was going on outside my door. Obviously, I was one that mm. TV in my room, um, mm. and so it was like it was just fun to do something different. I was always the different kid yeah. since like I was younger. I'm a weirdo. I'm a nerd. I'm a geek. <laughs> I go to Comic Con. I dress up like it's it's real mm-hmm. out here. The nerd and geek level is is real, but like nobody around me was really like that. And so, Mm. like, in those moments, I got to just be like, okay, well, at least I can be, like, by myself and in something I enjoy versus, like, trying to fit into with everybody else around me, which was awful and didn't work. Um, So, like, Mario was, like, my, like, okay, I'm in a space where it's, like, all right, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny, um, like... One of my first consoles was the Game Boy Advance, like handheld. Yes, Folks yes. remember it's like the flip phone of consoles. Yes, um, Game Boy SP. <laughs> yes, exactly. Give it up. I remember when that first came out. I was like, "What? Come on now!" After having like the Game Boy Color, I was like, mm-hmm. "This is like a whole new world." It's like I know. a whole mini laptop for real. Yeah, it was like a mini laptop. It was like <gasps> a mini laptop. Wow. I know that yeah. Motorola really got us going with that flip. They um, did. I, I appreciate <laughs> what they did. They didn't have to do it, but they did it for us, and I appreciate mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. And um, the first game I played, uh, one of the first games, like I played Yoshi's Island. I remember Mario riding Yoshi and <sighs> Yoshi's eggs Island. flying behind yes. you. Yeah. 
Um, I also played Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, if anyone remembers that game, but it was really interesting. Um, I was looking up, I was looking up some, an article about it because I was, when you said Mario, I was like, it suddenly unlocked this chest of like repressed childhood <laughs> memories. Um, but you know, like Mario and Luigi is the game that I would play under the covers with my handheld Game Boy at night. Um, listening to my parents fighting through the paper thin mm-hmm. walls. And that was the game I would play to get away from that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I have complicated family dynamics. Like I have a half sister, I have cousins. Yeah. I have cousins that I've been raised with and apart from at various times. Um, like my house was constantly in a state of flux. Um, but I didn't often feel like, I would often imagine like what would what would it be like to have a sibling that I feel like I'm like in this together with? Like what would it feel like to have a sibling where it was just us against the world? Um yeah. and this game, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, was really unique um because you would actually have to you would be controlling both brothers using the each half of the Game Boy. So you'd use the D-pad and, and the buttons to control both. Um and it was really unique. It was it was a, a very visually bright and beautiful game. The music and the humor was really great. Um, and it just I still had can hear a lot. The Mario music like in my head to this. Yeah, day. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Like it never leaves you. Um, and it just I don't know. I think looking back on it, the story it was a very sweet story about um, you know family and brotherhood and working together and love. And I think that. I didn't appreciate it for what it was at the time, but looking back, I think that it was really a great example for me um, to see that even in a, in a fantasy cartoon way. Um, And when you talked about like always having your head in a book, uh, like that being that sibling, like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it just reminds me like I used to get in fights with my cousin um, because like she would be talking to me for like 10 minutes and I would literally hear nothing because once I was in a book, that was like my safe space. Like the walls yeah. were up. I could basically be alone anywhere as long as I had a book, um, yeah. which is great for like coping through verbal yeah. and emotional abuse for like years. Yeah. <laughs> facts. Facts on facts with a side effect. <laughs> you know how it is. But like people would get mad at me. They'd be like, you don't care. Like you don't listen. Like it's like, it's all I don't care. I just... You have to just like tell me that you're talking to me because I yeah. I just need this time. So I'm in my bubble. <laughs> yeah, like you just kicked off a lot of nostalgia for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I could do that for you. Yeah, because it's like if people for people that don't like game and of course reading, they don't they don't understand the emotional connection that you get to these things. Because like you said with mm-hmm. the Mario and Luigi things, other people are thinking like people that don't game are like this is just a game. Like, why is he mm-hmm. doing that for you? But it's like for a person that like really resonates with it and like is emotionally connected to it, AKA I'm a therapist. So I'm emotional and my emotions are connected to literally everything that I do mm-hmm. um, that they don't understand that, that like emotional connection. And like, when you're in a game, they're like, well, why can't you hear me? And I'm like, well, cause I'm invested in what's happening right now. And you are barging into my world, expecting mm. me to just like be like, fully aware and it's like no I'm in my like own little bubble I'm enjoying myself and Mm -hmm. I want to stay there so it's like for people that don't do it they don't really understand the emotional connection you can have to a game like the virtual villagers game that I play 
Mm-hmm. It literally is just like an open world and you start off with five villagers and then you have to go through each of these tasks to basically build up your village. And like, there's all these, like, you have to find like different things. Like you have to help them build housing and then like mm. help them get proper, like things for like uh, having water and like they have different statues and all these kind of things. And so it's like, you're in this world. And like, even though obviously these people, like the virtual village is not real. Like I mm-hmm. do everything. I still am like connected to those characters. Like my boyfriend will be like in the kitchen, get, like doing like cooking because I don't <laughs> cook. So mm-hmm. they got to have him to cook. Nor should um, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I'm like, he'll ask me, he's like, how are your villagers? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, they're good. And I'll like tell him what's going on. And then like after I'm done talking, I'm like, oh my God, I just like talked his ear off for like five minutes. Right. about my villagers and like what's going on and the tasks that I'm on. But it's like, cause when you're a gamer, you get like so connected to it. I'm like, mm-hmm. even like certain of the characters like that I have to work on extra for certain stuff. I'm like, oh, well now this character outlives his life. So like, and it's yeah. funny there cause they have like a little mausoleum in the game. And so when oh my die, gosh. they like die and then they're like skeletons are like out and then they pick them <laughs> up and put it in a basket and walk it over to like the little mausoleum <laughs> they have. Cool. It's like it's like the weirdest thing ever, but also like an aspect of the game that I like because mm-hmm. you're so used to other games, like you know, games where people die. It's like you just shot this person up and now they're dead. Versus yeah. this is like this is their way of honoring it. Like they go pick up the bones, put it in the little thing, and like walk it over and like a whole mausoleum yeah. for them to be in. Like so, it's like I'm connected to that. Like oh, look at them, like go into the mausoleum and whatever, and then you get like new babies that are born and so you get mm. children that are coming and generations and so it's like i like love this game like almost every day i go in and i like check on them because if you don't check enough then they can like get diseases mm-hmm. and like die and like stuff like that so it's like this is you're a for god some other people, for some other people are like uh <laughs> how are you playing this for hours and i'm like how are you not yeah <laughs> these people need me <laughs> yes yes Yes, these people need me. I need to make sure that they live and have a good village. Like, mm-hmm. it's I my need fucking responsibility. This. Yeah, yes, it's my. I have brought them into this world, and I need to make sure they're taken care of. Exactly. I mean, I feel like that's what makes us human. Like when you were talking earlier about when you start lacking empathy, that's when video games become a problem. When you stop connecting with who we are, like it feels like. That's why games are so magical because mm-hmm. we are inhabiting these worlds. You're spending mm-hmm. 700 hours somewhere. Like that's yeah. real. That's real time yeah. spent oh, yeah. somewhere building something. Um, I mean, people are able to see the spirit and personify so many things. And I don't know, I, I think it speaks to just our connectedness that even uh, these these pixels can come together and it can create such great emotion in us because we're just so capable of, of deep feeling and, and empathy yeah. and it's beautiful yeah. what games can draw out of us. Yeah. And then also problem solving because mm-hmm. like I am a person that like my, like I said, my brain works on emotion so I can struggle with problem solving, but gaming kind of helps me with that. Cause it's like, all right, here's the situation. You have to figure it out and do it. there. like, even the Sims, like you build your own world, but then they have to go to work. You have to figure out what they need for work. And then, having kids or whatever. I never have kids in the game because I don't want kids in real life or fake mm. life. Um, <laughs> so virtual villagers, I have no no control over them having babies, but in the same, <laughs> ain't nobody having no babies. 
I got plenty of fur children in my Sims game, but it's like, mm-hmm. I'm emotionally connected to that game too. Like I have the one that I've been working on. It's a husband and a wife and they have two dogs and a cat. And like, I'm mm. invested. Like you have to like train the dog. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to yeah. train this dog and be animals and even like rescue animals <laughs> from like this little island. And I'm like, of course. So now I'm going and rescuing them and being friends and stuff. Like, <laughs> of course I got to go and like do this stuff. Why not? And then mm-hmm. me and my boyfriend want like kid like we don't want kids, so we want like fur animals. So then it's just like, mm-hmm. see, now it's just like real stuff that I would be connected to in real life with. So exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm glad he still loves me with how weird <laughs> I am. <laughs> I mean, hey, we all need someone who cares as much as our, our villagers as we do. So True. bless you both, 100. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jameer, it has been so incredible sharing this time with you um i'd love to know like is there anything that any projects or anything that you would like us to uh close out and draw attention to um i work out of northeast health services they have um a bunch of offices i really should know um how many we have uh but that would be a lie um but they're (laughs) all over the south shore um and there are plenty of licensed and unlicensed clinicians for all different kind of stuff. Some people are trained in specific things. Um, and it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty great place to work. I've worked there now. This will in June, this will be my third year, my third year of working there. So it's, it's a pretty great place. Literally, if you type in Northeast health services, it'll pop up with all the different sites that we have. Um, and you can also like, call and ask for things specifically like okay i struggle with um anxiety and depression or i struggle with trauma or whatever like they can link you with somebody who like specifically works in those things like for me i i work with uh mostly women that are 18 and older um Mm -hmm. and it's a lot of anxiety depression mood disorders some trauma um i would definitely not say i'm certified in trauma but like i am obviously like we said we got home lives so i have personal experience Mm -hmm with Mm -hmm. this stuff so if you feel like you need therapy northeast health services there are plenty of ones around call and ask for an intake and they got you from there amazing jameer um as a therapist i think it's just so great to have you on the air and if anyone's ever doubting therapy like like is there anything that you might have to say to someone who thinks that therapy not might not be for them yeah so Therapy is something that, like, is becoming more accepted, thank God. Um, but a lot of times the hesitancy with therapy is, like, um, I'm not ready to open up my whole life or mm. I've had a bad therapist in the past or, like, I'm not sure. But the thing is, is, like, knowing that you have control, like, you are a client and it's not that we try to force anything on you. If you come and you feel like some, like, look, I'm not really connected with this therapist, that's okay. You can go and try another therapist. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to be stuck or think that the first day you're there, you have to give your whole life story. Like, no, we gradually work through whatever's going on. Like we start with what's currently happening and then we go forward and backwards as you need to. And knowing that your therapist really cares, like mm-hmm. in order to do this job, you have to care because in a week you can be in 30 different people's lives of what's going on. So there has to be that sense of care and knowing that it's okay if you go through a one therapist, two therapists, three therapists, because not everybody connects. Like it takes time. Like even me, for me, I still go to therapy as a therapist. And it took until now 
my third therapist who like has helped me work through the most and she's been absolutely amazing and I basically told her I was like well you better get used to seeing me because <laughs> me and you gonna be right here um but that took years I got my first one when I first moved here six years ago so it's like mm-hmm. it took time to finally like during the pandemic to find one to have all this so know that like give yourself a chance and give the therapist a chance like and if you're not ready you're not ready sometimes you go into therapy and you start opening up stuff and you're like wait a minute whoa 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 whoa, whoa. I wasn't ready for that <laughs> it's okay mm-hmm. to back out and try again mm-hmm. Mm. it's okay I might be slightly biased because I'm a therapist so Mm -hmm. (laughs) no that's a really helpful reminder Jameer thank you like and I'll share too like that's so valid like it's taken me years to and I still feel like I there's it's tough like uh just finding someone who isn't just okay with trans people Mm -hmm. but like actually wants to, to be uh compassionate and, and competent yeah. and like there were so many people that I talked to that were like I'm LGBTQ friendly mm-hmm. when all of that meant is that they had heard the word transgender in their life before um yeah. and so you know it's like what you're saying is so valid like just because it's not working out with the, with one therapist you see it's not because of you uh, it just wasn't the right fit. It's a relationship, just like anything else. Um, just like anything else. It's a, and like people forget that because a lot of times they see therapists as like an authority figure mm. and then they have to like live up to the authority figures. But it's like everything we do is for you. Like in treatment plans, like I have to figure out what you want and then make a plan specifically to that. I can't just come in and be like, well, here are the five things I picked out that you think you should work on. Like, no, I. <laughs> talk to you and I literally ask the question of like what do you want out of therapy so I can find like specifically how to work with you and even like LGBTQ I really one of the things that I wish the most out of anything is that there would be more black people that work as therapists and Mm -hmm. more LGBTQ people who work as therapists because Mm -hmm. that is needed like I have a few trans clients and obviously Mm -hmm. my trans clients like some of the horror stories that Mm. they have been through or even like how they were like even afraid to talk about in therapy and like I'm Mm -hmm. honest where I'm like look I am no expert so know Mm -hmm. that I'm here to learn and I also learn on my own Mm -hmm. um and so it's like also it's okay if you meet somebody you like "Mm -mm, no you ain't really LGBTQ friendly like find somebody else you don't gotta stay Mm -hmm. there don't do it don't stay nowhere you don't feel comfortable including therapy and life don't stay nowhere you Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable that's some free therapy from Jameer. <laughs> so. Free therapy right there. <laughs> I'm out here sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but if social, as I say, if for social media, you do want to follow me, all my accounts are locked except for my Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if you want, if you are a person who are interested in political stuff, LGBTQ stuff, and me just saying how much I love my boyfriend, you can feel free to follow me on, tw- follow me on Twitter um the name on twitter i'm trying to think i don't want to say it wrong so somebody end up coming up on some other of my social media um not that that's ever happened before that's not like a specific situation um so it's jtl17 so capital j a y capital t lowercase e e capital e lowercase l l and then 1717. Beautiful. That's where you can find me most of the time. Thank you so much, Jameer. Thank you for joining us on Pixel Therapy. No problem.
No problem, of course. Time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month, plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, there are lots of ways you can support us for free, including following us on Instagram and other social media at pixeltherapypod, or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That stuff is just as important, and we do appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythoughpodcast.com, though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they are building around pop culture, news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And finally, you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. This week's side quest is Black Lives Matter. Thank you so much to Jameer for the request. Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer. Trayvon was an unarmed 17-year-old Black boy from Miami Gardens, Florida. Black Lives Matter is today a global organization in the U.S., U.K., and Canada whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence that is inflicted upon Black communities by the state and vigilantes. By combating and countering acts of violence, creating space for Black imagination and innovation, and centering Black joy, BLM is winning immediate improvements in Black people's lives. Um, And Black liberation is liberation for us all. They are a collective of liberators who believe in an inclusive and spacious movement. Um, BLM affirms the lives of Black, queer, and trans folks, disabled folks, undocumented folks, folks with records, women, and all Black lives along the gender spectrum. Their network centers those who have been marginalized within Black liberation movements, and the call for Black lives to matter is a rallying cry for all Black lives striving for liberation. You can learn more and donate at blacklivesmatter.com. Thank you for that important side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Pixel Therapy. Therapy. Bye-bye.